Yeah, kid. Welcome, welcome everybody back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. My name is Charles, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Permit, aka El Julio Maravilloso. Bro, the fucking world is crazy and getting crazier every single day. Just want to give a shout out to everybody in the fix and flip construction development world. I uh, just got off the phone with a bunch of suppliers. If you need material in October, you better buy it now. Basically, they are out. They're not getting deliveries two, three, four weeks. I can't get sliding doors, windows, white siding. It is an absolute shit show. Plywood's almost 40 bucks a sheet. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse and crazier, it is getting worse and crazier. So if you need somebody to put the fire out, at least in a certain part of your life, and that is the permit part of your life, you need the one, the only, that's right, Captain Permit. 516-513-8838. If you need plans, you need permits, if you need anything permit-related from tip to tip, and by that, I mean Elmont to Montauk and everything between legalizations, new construction, we do it all, decks, sheds, awnings, commercial property, finished basements. We are rocking and rolling, and we appreciate your business. Hit Mike and the boys up, 516-513-8838. If you are a realtor and you've listed a property and you are not logging on to lotusquotes.com and getting your free tax grievance report, free CO report, and free insurance quote from Allstate. You are crazy. I don't want to get calls two days before the closing that there's no CO for the deck and you just found out about it when you could have been dealing with this months before for free on lotusquotes.com. Obviously, my name is Charles, the handsome home buyer. If you have a house that smells like cat pee is dated from the 1960s, land, commercial property, you name it, I don't care. I'm quick. I'm easy. I'm a good time. I'm all cash. And bam, I want to buy it. 516-777. Sold. All right. So we have a banger of a guest today. Old friend of mine. Very interesting. Very accomplished. The theme of today's podcast is three things can change your life, people. One of them is YouTube. The second is a 27-year-old Jewish kid, i.e. myself. The third is living in Long Beach across from the Alegria Hotel. All right, we got my man, Sean, super cleary cleary. He is a self-taught photographer and videographer who rose to fame through the CrossFit world to have shot and videoed CrossFit at the highest level of CrossFit the country. He is the fucking man. He is proof that if you want to do something, you do it. You can do it to the highest level. And he's created this amazing life for him and his wife and two and a half children. I just found out on top of that, he's very potent. One shot, one kill. He's going to teach me how I do that. And I think he's got all boys, which is another benefit, which I have to get jumped back on and see what the deal is. Uh, he works with one of our previous guests, Sean Pastuch. They've been uh, friends a long time and co-workers. So uh, Sean gets all girls. This Sean gets all boys. We got to see uh, who's doing what differently here. Yo! How's it going? I just, I just realized that. Did you hear me or no? Yeah. Okay. You have all boys, right? I do. All right. So Sean, who you're with all the time, has all girls. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So what the hell are you doing differently? Um, I don't know. It just might be, uh, my manly, my manliness, I guess. Is, 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 is that, yeah, <laughs> it must be. 
I'm just, you know, I always ask this question of everybody because if I ever have kids, I want to have boys. So if he's having all girls and you're having all boys, you have to be doing something um, different. Well, I so, just, I drink gallons of coffee. So maybe that's what it is. I don't drink any coffee. Does he not drink coffee either? Uh, he drinks, he, he pretends to drink coffee, but you know, he, he doesn't drink enough coffee. Okay. So the key, the key, I'm going to add coffee to the list. My mother told me last week that it is, um, that, and she's had this secret supposedly for like 30 years. Cause I keep asking her, but she says that my father's, my father had a cousin or probably still does, but we don't talk to anymore. Who is a scientist who said squirt white vinegar in your hoo-ha and you'll get a boy. Hmm. So I'm going to do, I'm going to squirt the vinegar, go deep into the left. Think about the most masculine, like murderous thing I can think of. And now what's your, what's your piece that I have to add? Oh, drink a shit ton of coffee. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Probably start with that. That'll help keep up the energy. Bro, you know what kind of energy I have to begin with. Do you know what <laughs> happens if I drink a shit ton of coffee? I, I can only imagine. I would be sent to your house and they'd be like, listen, he's your problem now. <laughs> well, your house used to be my house. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Which is a good place to start. So um, this is this is kind of interesting because when I met you, we were I was 27. You were probably, what were you, 20? How old are you now? I'm, oh God, I'm 36 now. Fuck. You put I it out like, there. Shit, I've known you a long time. So I'm, I'm 40, you're 36. So you must have been 22 or 23. Uh, it might have been a little older than that. So I think it was 2010 or 2009 is whenever I moved into 65, and you were already there at that point. For those of you who don't know, this is 65 West Broadway, which is a garden-style <laughs> apartment complex across from Alegria Hotel, which was like Melrose Place without a pool. It was awesome. It, dude, let me tell you something. Up until Sandy ruined everything, that was amazing. That was an amazing period in life. Like I would love to go back to that time. Yeah, it was great. I had wound up with the funny part of 65 West was I had left a job for, with the Defense Department, mm -hmm. left Washington, D.C., moved back to New York. And by moved back to New York, I mean, I showed up at my mom's house just with my car full of stuff. It said, I'm moving home. <laughs> and I had no job. And I had also no plan of getting a job. And I just started skiing a lot or snowboarding a lot yeah. that winter with my then girl, then girlfriend, now wife. And okay. I had no plan. And then one day in May, because I had now transitioned to just surfing every day, um, my mom goes, oh, I'm meeting with a realtor to rent an apartment in Long Beach. Just when you're done surfing, come meet us there. Okay. Like, okay, I don't care. This doesn't matter. And then I showed up there and I sat on the steps of 65 and met this realtor with my mom. And she's like, okay. And my mom's like, yeah, this is going to be my place. And within about a week of her closing that lease, I just kind of showed up and never left. And then just started that was, free that was your mother's rental? Yeah. yeah, she just was like, oh, I want to have a place where I can put my beach chair. And <laughs> I think in the back of her head, she was just so sick of having me at home for good reason. Um, and was like, oh, well, I'll just hang out now at the beach every day. And this is great. And so I'm now being able to sleep there and surf and like, oh, yeah, I should probably get a job and all that stuff. But then it turns out that when I moved in that first day, I saw all the windows at this garden style. It's like a U, it's like a horseshoe, start opening up and people creeping out the windows, like who's the new guy? And like, I think I came out with a 12 pack or something one day and said, anyone wanna hang out? And all of the, like, it turns out that the second summer kicks off at that apartment complex, almost yeah. everyone was teachers. And then yeah. the, the summer side came out and the parties began. And it turned out to be the greatest place to be young and, uh, enjoying being outside and being unemployed. And it was just a 
fantastic summer. And that's when I met you. Bro, that was a magical, magical, magical place. And I really, I kind of wish I appreciated it more when I was there. Although I, I appreciate it. I just kind of, I don't know, I, I want to go back. Yeah, we had a lot of good surf trips. Oh, dude, we just, it was just, it was just a glorious time of minimal responsibility, <laughs> youth. I mean, and there was like an unbelievable cast of characters of people that live there that, uh, that I just, that I loved and missed. Yeah. So, um, wait, so I didn't, you were a Long Island guy before that. We never delved into this before. You grew up in Long Island. Yeah, I grew up in Long Island. I uh, grew up in Valley Stream. I went to Hewlett, uh, Hewlett School District. And, uh, and then when I went to school, I went down to University of Maryland and then stayed down there and worked in Washington, D.C. for a while. Okay. And then, so before we were talking, you say, yeah, I, I essentially quit my job a month before I was going to get married and just, just wung it. <laughs> Yeah. Let, let, let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So 65 is kind of a good uh, jumping off point there because obviously uh, I'm now back in New York. I have a college degree. I've already worked for five years, but none of those skills are really transferable to New York. And like, I didn't like, like I had a perfect job. Like I, I remember when I got my job at the defense department, I'm like, I peaked at 23. I'm like my, I'm never going to have a better job. I'm working for one of the most important people in the world. This is a great job. Everything is awesome. I'm not really enjoying any of this. This is not fun. And at that time, I was just really into snowboarding and just trying to get out of Washington to go do stuff. Um, right. So we're at 65. I'm unemployed. I eventually, one of the people that lived there was the like central manager for American Eagle. And I'm like, whatever, backup plan. I can always work at them all. Like the summer was ending. <laughs> all the teachers were going back to work. Wait, where did, I, you, go to, where did you go to school? University of Maryland. Oh, uh, okay. College um, Park? Yeah. Dude, everybody I know that went there, none of them came home. They loved it so much. They were like, this place is fucking awesome. I'm never coming back. Yeah, I don't know. I'm weird that way. Um, but so I uh, I got a job at American Eagle as like, uh, like a store manager. Okay. And it was horrible. Like I had done retail in college and it was always just easy. Like I like people. I could do stuff. I can sell anything. So I was like, oh, here, buy some jeans. Hey, you fold those better. Piece of cake. And like they looked at me and like, you're great at this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to quit. <laughs> um, and within like two or three months I quit and I wound up quitting with a job because I did like the thing I was supposed to do. And I was supposed to get a responsible office job and use the skills I developed in college and then developed in a professional life and then get a real job in New York city. So did I did go, that. What did you go to school for? Uh, they called it government and politics, but it's basically like a political science major, okay. uh, which means nothing, which means absolutely nothing. Like the most useful part of my degree is I got a minor in philosophy and I was one credit away from a minor in astronomy and both of those I thought have been far more impactful on my mind. Are, are you a very political person? Because I don't know you to be very political. Uh, I mean, uh, we don't have to go there, but like, I'm just curious to know. I, I like to stay out of it, but if anyone that okay. knows me knows I can get up on a soapbox pretty quick and just start telling why everyone's idiots. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'll keep my blood pressure down right now. But, um, but so I got a real job and I was working <laughs> This is, we'll get back to politics real quick, but I started working at the Fox News Channel uh, right. because I, my specialty was in media and in communications and in research. Um, and so I was a fact checker at the Fox News Channel. I remember this. Yes, yeah. I remember this. So as you can imagine, my phone did not ring very often. Uh, and it was, and this was 2000, what, like 2008, 2009? No, actually a little later than that. 2010 into like the 2012 area, maybe even 13. Okay. Um, I was working there and it was hilarious. Like you want to talk about not wanting to see how the sausage is made it. That place was insanity. Um, but 
the greatest thing about that job, and I said, I've said this many times before, is only that place could make me so miserable in my life every single day that I would take the chance on something that was a complete leap. Um, this is all coming back. I remember you being I'm like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm a fact checker. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. For Fox? Really? What, what? are they, What are you checking? Like the number of times they're like, oh, find his Kenyan birth certificate. I'm like, he's not Kenyan. All right, guys, he's not Kenyan. This isn't a real thing. This is not real. Um, but that was my job. But the beautiful thing about it is it was a very, very dull, horrible office atmosphere where I had a computer. Okay. And it required about 2% of my brain power. And at the same time, I had started, uh, I so at the same time at 65 West and in Long Beach, the Quicksilver Pro had come to town, which was a world, uh, what do they call it? ASP world uh, tour event. So this is like, you know, a grand slam of tennis, a Super Bowl level event in the sport of surfing. And at that time, I'd also been doing this silly blog in Long Beach. I had always done a lot of things at the same time, but long story short, professional surfers were coming to Long Beach to surf a huge swell for major competition. Awesome. One of our neighbors, Greg Vetter, was a sports photographer in his previous life before he had really? become a teacher. He Long was a Greg, right? high, yeah, yeah. He was a high-level sports photographer. Had wow. everything. He was shooting NFL, lacrosse, any sport. He was doing it. Um, and I went, Greg, I can fake us into getting a media permit to shoot this uh, this surfing event. Can through I borrow your, a camera? Through your Fox relationships? Uh, no, through the blog, because I had a Long Beach blog, so they were trying to make nice with the Long Beach community. Oh, and yeah. so I'm like, I can, get a, I can get a media permit so we can shoot from the tower, we can shoot, we can shoot anywhere we want. But wow. I don't know anything about cameras other than I'd always been the guy with the camera, meaning I'd always had like a point and shoot, when like camera phones started, I was always the person at the party that wanted to be the guy taking the pictures. When we went snowboarding, I just always wanted to be good enough to keep up with the better guys so I could take good pictures of them. And it never really occurred to me that that was what I want to be doing, like ever. Wow. It was just, I truly enjoy this and love this. Um, so we shoot this surf event and I'm like coming back to work every day with these hard drives full of pictures and stuff. And I had never really edited pictures before. And I'm like, this is so awesome. I love this. Like I need to start learning about cameras. And so I sat at this job, which required like two minutes of every hour. And I sat on YouTube and Frono's photo is a Jared Poland is a photographer that did an unbelievable amount of free education in 2010, 2011. It's all on YouTube still. And I just watched every single one of those videos and literally sat there with like a notepad and took notes. And eventually it was like, I'm going to buy a DSLR. I don't know what that is really, but I know I need to have one of those. And I bought one. And at the same time, I started doing CrossFit because a CrossFit gym had opened in Long Beach. And I had discovered that there were two photographers that were posting a lot of CrossFit pictures on Facebook because that was very popular then. And I'm like, whoa, you took these pictures? And I started talking to them. I'd be like, how did you do that? Because I'm taking these rinky-dink camera there. My pictures don't look like your pictures. Fast forward even a little more. I'm now playing with the camera a lot. And there's local CrossFit competitions is a thing that starts happening. And so I take my camera to this CrossFit competition. I go, hey, I'm a photographer. And I'm going to take pictures of your competition if you give me a sweatshirt. I think you. it's really important. Well, two things. A... Usually I don't care about credit, but in this case, I want a little bit of credit. <laughs> second, second of all, I think it's important for the viewing, listening audience. If 
for you to paint the picture of where CrossFit was at that time. Because this is like, you know, you found what you love, but it was happening and you, you, you came into CrossFit, but it was happening at like the perfect, perfect time. Yeah. So CrossFit, at, I guess this is like, it's like 2011. I think, yeah, I think 2011 um, was starting to blow up. Like the CrossFit games are starting to get televised on ESPN. They're going from, they had about 5,000 affiliates worldwide. And I think by 2013, they had 10,000. So you're talking about more than doubling in two years. And that's when I'm starting CrossFit. This is when the CrossFit gyms are popping up in every strip mall. Everyone's hearing about Clang and Bang and all the fit people on the internet are doing CrossFit. Um, you know, th the movie 300 had been out in 2006 or 2007. So that started putting CrossFit out into the world. And then by 2011, it was just like ready to explode. But so the, the production side of CrossFit and CrossFit as a CrossFit Incorporated, the company that owns CrossFit and the competition series, the, the CrossFit Games competition series, they were starting to now pump more and more money into their brand. And CrossFit viewed itself as a media company, not as a fitness company, because they understood very, at that time, they answered very well how important media is for selling your product. So instead of them spending all of this money on commercials, the way CrossFit Incorporated got so many people to take their seminars and so many people to sign up for independently owned CrossFit gyms and to open their own CrossFit gyms was by putting out this CrossFit games content. Like you could become a superhuman like these people. Like they had this hilarious line that was like uh, turning sixes into tens or something like that. Um, and like they played around with that, but they, they had a YouTube channel before it was cool. And every single day, because CrossFit.com would put out a workout, they would put out a video of that workout. And each one of those videos got more complicated. They had more production in them. They had better athletes and better music, better editing. And then they started putting out documentaries around the CrossFit games themselves. But, and then movement demos and thing, and more and more and more and more and more. And so people, they were building this brand that was just like ready to explode. I, coming into it from the complete basement floor, was now taking a camera to CrossFit gyms and taking pictures of people doing CrossFit because it was just, it, it was athletics that was right in front of me. Surf is really difficult to photograph because in New York, it's rare. And yeah. you could be standing on the beach all day and maybe no one surfs that day. You now need to coordinate with other people. I show up into a CrossFit gym, every single day people are trying to smash themselves, doing cool athletic stuff. And from the technical side, the photography is some of the most complicated there is because it's very dark, it's low light, fast action, and it's moving. So it forces you to get very, very good, very, very quick, or you just suck and never get better. <laughs> but I, uh, I, kept, I kept doing that. And this was like, there was two aha moments. I shot this local competition. And like, it's the first time I'd ever shot a competition. It's the first time I'd ever shot for more than an hour. Uh, like of real, like, oh, I think I'm working, even though I was paid with like a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or something. Um, and I put these pictures online that I'm so excited about on Facebook and I get like 1200 likes. And like, the most likes I'd ever gotten before was like three. And I'm getting all, I wake up in the morning with all these messages. Where can I buy the photos? Where can I buy the photos? Why would you want to buy these? These are trash. And like this is then the New York and kind of the New York and you too, where it's, I can make some money on this. 
because there's a lot of cameras I'd like to buy and a lot of lenses I'd like to buy. So I'm like, well, how's a dollar sound? And people said, yes. I'm like, $5? And if I do a package, it'll be 10 bucks. And I'm just immediately flipping pictures on PayPal that weekend. I'm like, wow. This is cool. I'm like, maybe I made like a hundred bucks on that. And I'm like, this is, this is a thing. And then the gears really started moving where I'm now showing up at the gym and pitching Sean Pastuch who owned that gym. Oh, yeah. you need to hire me for photo shoots because it's the best marketing there is because everyone's going to post these picture, pictures on Facebook. They're going to tag themselves. It's free marketing, organic reach, SEO, big words, things that I don't understand, but you're going to love it. He's like, thanks, but no thanks. Like, okay, I'll do it for free. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he saw right through me. Uh, but he also was broke, so that's okay. But so I just started immediately trying to monetize this now. And I was like selling like athlete portrait sessions for like a hundred bucks. And I'm calling every single gym on Long Island and being like, I'm a CrossFit photographer. I'm gonna take pictures of your gym. So I, I think it's so a couple of things. I mean, A, so just so people understand, you didn't you didn't have any formal training. You literally bought a camera, went on YouTube, watched every possible YouTube video you could, took notes, and then just went out there and did it. Yes, every single day was just clicking away. I, and, I knew nothing. And then you found something you like, which was CrossFit, and then you saw that there was an opportunity there, and you immediately jumped on it, which is like, people need to, hesitation is is something that will basically screw anybody. You see an opportunity, you basically have to go through it. Go, go right to it. And you start calling up CrossFit gyms saying that you are a CrossFit photographer, even though, what does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was the way I was pictured. I'm like, oh, well, I do CrossFit and I take pictures of it. So I better understand it. Like, I'm not going to be like some bodybuilder photographer that yeah. thinks it's all bicep curls. I understand the grit and because I do these workouts and I know about your Fran time and I know about Murph and stuff. So that now we have like a commonality there. Um, and I was the only person reaching out to these people. There were CrossFit photographers then. People didn't see this as a market. People thought this was a fringe thing. I think the important thing also is I remember you in that time and you, you were in it, bro. Like you loved it. You loved CrossFit. You loved every aspect of it. How old were you at this point? Mid twenties? Uh, no, I, I was putting it on by then. Um, so I was pro probably like 27, 28, mm -hmm. 27, 28. And were people telling you like, yo, this is not like a real job. You have to go get a real job. Were you well, still doing this? The is, that's the thing. Like as much as this is the only thing I'm talking about and laying out how much work I'm doing. I had a full time 50 plus hour a week job in New York City. And I was working. So I always I've always had these jobs where I've had weird schedules. So I would work Sunday through Thursday. Okay. And so I leveraged that to my advantage where I absolutely hated working on the weekends and I drank a lot then. So I always hung over. <laughs> um, no, it was the truth. It was part of the reason I hated working on the weekends is because the Sundays were so dark. Like I would just be like this for hours and I'd be like, it'd been hell on the train. Um, but I used that schedule because what that meant is I had Fridays when my then girlfriend would be at work all day and I had a day off. But it didn't become a day off. It become, became I am a photographer on Friday because that's a weekday when most businesses are open and most people are ready to answer their phone or check their email. So I was a photographer every Friday. And then Saturday, I very often would try to then book like events or jobs or something like that because that was a, another day I was off. It was my weekend. 
Um, so I now had these two days where I could either be talking to clients, practicing, showing up at my local gym and just shooting and trying out new stuff, or on Saturdays actually booking a job and going to a job um, while working full time. And so every single penny I would make with the photography side of stuff, I just reinvested into the into photography. So I'd have quick better cameras faster, or I'd have you know the new memory card or the thing I needed just to be able to shoot the thing because I'd be like I'd be keep coming up against technical limits that like oh this lens doesn't do that or this uh, memory card keeps filling up too fast or this reader isn't right or I need a new hard drive but like I paid for that because I would make enough money selling a couple pictures here and there. So what was your motivation behind pushing and trying to achieve that level? Were you did you just love it that much? Did you see a future in it? Because I think it's also important for people to understand. Now, content creation, photography, videography is just, I'm not going to say it's just starting to move, but it kind of is starting to move. So nine years ago when you were doing this, it wasn't a thing. Mm -mm. It, there were no influencers then. Yeah. Being, being a photographer, being a videographer, if you weren't doing weddings like that, that shit didn't even exist. So what was it? Was it that you just loved it that much that you just wanted to do it? And it was more of a hobby that was a side business that eventually turned into a business. And I'm curious to know how you ended up making the leap from like no more Fox to full time. Yeah. So the, the first aha moment was I shot a little local event, started people liked it, which is like, if anyone's been now watching the social dilemma, it's that endorphin rush. People like the like, okay. Mm -hmm. Then I realized I could start monetizing this and I want fancy cameras. I am a gear nerd. First and foremost, I have a brand new camera right next to me that you are stopping me from using right at this moment. And it's it's driving me nuts. Sorry, bro. No, but it's I needed to pay for this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Because my job paid me enough money to pay my rent and do all that stuff. But I was going to be getting married soon. I was supposed to be responsible and save money. I needed a way to pay for this stuff. So it was literally just the circle. Work more, buy more stuff. Work more, buy more stuff. And I loved it. And I truly enjoyed doing it. Then... I got started getting good at it and the CrossFit games kept growing and blowing up. And I was supposed to, I reached out because I was very quickly what we would now call a mentor. I had a mentor who was a CrossFit photographer who had shot the CrossFit games the year before for CrossFit HQ. So he already had an in the a regional, which is like a, like a lower level event that qualifies for the games was yeah. coming to Boston in May. And I really wanted to go. I was just going to show up and shoot it. And uh, the way it kind of fell apart. And then Chris called me and goes, oh, do you know how, do you know how to edit photos? And because I think you might be able to have a job. And so he hooked me up with the head of the photography department at CrossFit and is like, we're doing editors this year. Have you used this program called Photo Mechanic? And I said, Dave, I've used it. I love it. It's my favorite program. I hung up the phone, went, what is photo mechanic? <laughs> and I got on YouTube and I'm downloading it. I'm like, what is this thing? I've never heard of it, but I just agreed to edit for three days with a program yeah. I've never used before. You got balls. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I wanted to, I needed, this was my chance to kind of kick the door open. Like everyone talks about like what I would, like I didn't want to edit and I didn't want to use photo mechanic. I wanted to take pictures. But I said yes, because I knew this could get me at least next to the people. And, you know, I did it. And the whole time I'm up there in Boston and I'm editing and I was literally locked in a room from 8 a.m. to about 9 p.m. every day editing photos. 
And then I'd go back to my hotel room and edit from 9 p.m. to about 3 a.m. Just because I didn't want to do a bad job. And little did I know that we were kind of set up for failure. Like they, this is the first time they were using the system. It didn't work right. There were personalities and egos that I didn't know were going on or understand. But at the end of the weekend, like my editing room was right next to a couple of these other production offices. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, what do you, what do, you do on Monday? And the guy's like, what do you mean? What do I do on Monday? I'm a, I'm a video production dude. Like, huh? but no, but like, what's your real job? Like, what do you do after this? He's like, well, I'm going to go to Hawaii because I'm shooting a surf competition. And then I'm probably going to catch up on the West Coast for the next part of the CrossFit series. Wow. So this is your job. Well, you don't have then an office job. He's like, yeah, this is my job. I don't understand why this is confusing you. And I went to, <laughs> and I, I went to work on Monday and quit my job. And this is, wow. yeah, I'm like, there, these people can do this. And like, I even like would sneak my camera down to the event floor and shoot and was like slipping those pictures into the feed. And like, people were like, yeah, those are great. Who took that? I'm like, I took that. They're like, oh, cool. Moving on. Like, oh yeah, that's fine. And so I just was like, this is ridiculous. I hate my job so much, but I've built a side hustle. Like what we now call a side hustle. I had been making enough money that my Friday, what I would call my photography day, and the Saturday were booked almost every week to the point where I was now turning down jobs because I didn't have enough free time and I used all my vacation from work. So I'm like, this is where I'm going. And I know that if I just stop wasting my time the other five days a week and do this 100% of the time, I'll be more successful. And so I have to stop just sitting on both sides of this. How many years did it take for you before you, from the time that you first picked up the camera and watched that first YouTube video until you walked into Fox News and said, fuck finding Kenyan versus <laughs> uh, It was probably about 18 months. Um, That's really fast. Yeah, um, I'm pretty impulsive. Um, well, because like it, it, things have been very dramatic. Like, you know, I had a job I really hated. Uh, Hurricane Sandy had hit in October of 2012. And that had obviously like blown up our home and like floated away. I had been engaged to my, my now wife for one week. And I was now, we were now living with my mom again. Um, so that was a fun way to start planning a wedding. Like it just, it started really putting things in perspective okay. because it's like things can just wash away that fast. And do I want to die working in like Fox news doing a corporate job? And it was like, what is my future here? Cause I even got a text message from my boss. That's like, yeah, I understand the hurricane was a big deal, but we have an election that's going to happen. Like go away. What, are these the people that I respect and want to be working with and that matter to me? Or is like building a family, building some kind of future and doing something I actually like. And in the back of my head, I have always said, I can work at Starbucks. I can work at the mall. Like if that's what I need to do, I can hustle and just pay the bills. I will take care of that. Um, so it was just like, it didn't feel fast at the time. It felt like this is taking forever because there also was no plan. It was just, I was just building this thing and having fun with it. And then the epiphany was going to the full-time job mode of going to that regional and being like, this is insane. Like, why would I, would I just not do this? This makes much more sense. I mean, but for where I was standing, you did all the right things. Meaning you, you didn't just take the leap. You, you no. tested it out. You built the business. You were reinvesting in yourself. You were going out and buying worthless shit. You were going out and buying cameras and things that could help you get better at your craft. 
maybe you didn't see it like that way at that time, but that's what you're doing it. So you did actually take right. that perfect track. Um, the huge thing about you, which I never really realized until just now is how unbelievably aggressive and confident you are. Um, so and I don't mean that negatively, like you, I mean, bro, that's, that's a big deal. It's a compliment. Please take it that way. I'm curious to know where that comes from. Is that like, you know, your parents are like that. You were just born like that. Like, where did that come yeah, from? Yeah. It's funny. Like I look at it now and everyone's like, I, I make very, very quick decisions. I never second guess myself. I'm very assertive, you know, sometimes to a robotic level. Um, now I can see those things, but like, I guess it really does just come from my parents in the sense that like, they're very just pragmatic people that were like, we need to do a thing. We need to do with this. There wasn't a lot of waffling ever, or there wasn't a lot of wavering. And my dad worked himself into the absolute ground his entire life um, doing a job that I don't think he particularly liked, but it was to kind of create the opportunity for us. And the whole time, I also saw in him that he was always uh, wishing he was doing something else. Like he loved the outdoors. He was a scuba diver and a hunter. And that's what he should have been doing the whole time, not selling insurance. Uh, we, I think, in, in this time, see that a lot more, that you shouldn't waste away your life in a corporation that you hate or a job that you hate. You should take the chance at doing the thing. And if it doesn't work, go work at the mall. Because you know what? There's always going to be people to sell insurance. There's plenty of door-to-door -door salesmen. You can get your job and you can cover the bills. But why not while your knees still work? your back still works and you have energy and can stay up all night to get work done, actually do the thing you like or try to. I loved working at the mall, man. I'd like to go back and do that too. <laughs> awesome. There's, yeah. like, I worked at Hollister for years and it was great because I would work at night. So I'd surf all day. Oh man. Wait, was it Roosevelt Field Hollister? Yeah. Cause I was at this bus, no, you were too young. I was before that. I was at Kenneth Cole when I was like 22, 23 years old. I was like, this is, amazing because of that i know i've worn women's high heel shoes and i know way too much about makeup and all other things but that's a different story yeah that's a different story for a different podcast or for uh for a different type of podcast so what was it like when you first took the leap so you took the leap you're like fox i'm done <laughs> now you're a full-time photographer and you were booked those two days but you were only booked two days was it was it tough a and b your wife must be a saint <laughs> Yeah. So she's supportive of this entire thing from the get go. So it was so funny <laughs> because the context here is so I had been engaged in October and now this is this coming June. Uh, and then we were, we were going to be married July 20th. Um, and so this is like, you know, June 1st, let's say is when I quit. And I had talked to her right before and been like, you know, you know, I hate my job. And it's like, I think I'm going to make a go at this. And you're also a teacher. So that means you have health insurance. Yeah. So you got to keep teaching. Um, but like, can you be my sugar mama for a bit uh, while I take a go at this? Because realistically, once we're married and then there's the house and then there's the kid, you can't, it's so much harder to take a chance like that. I'm like, this is like, I have a month before we get married. Like, is it okay if I do this? And like, I literally, like I did like a back of the envelope calculation about how much money we actually needed. And like, thankfully, like I spent no money. I spent money on camera gear. That's like, I didn't do anything. And then like, I went to the bar. That was my spending. And so 
it was like, okay, well, this, this could be the time to do it. And she said, well, the conditions are that wow. um, she was like, basically the biggest condition was once it's baby time, you're going to be daddy daycare. And we'll like figure out some way of doing that. Cause we're not going to like send our kids off and we're going to, we're going to have our kids. Right. And we're not going to like use daycare. Like you're, you're going to be around, right. That'll be great. And so like, yeah, sure. That's down the line. I don't need to worry about that right now. Um, so quit and like a month and a half, you know, a month before I'm getting married, it was like, I got rid of my 401k, got rid of my health insurance, got rid of my salary and was effectively, as because I've been a contractor forever, a contractor is unemployed every single time he finishes a contract, right? So it's like, cool. like, And then I just charted down on a piece of paper, I'm gonna make $170 this month right now. That's what I have on the books right now. So we need to start making some phone calls. And so I cleared the dining room table, put my computer down, made a little sign, super clear photo HQ. And I now was, was, at, was in business. Um, and where I just did, started hustling. What's where that? Did, where did the, where did the, cause you are super clear. Like when yeah. I talk to people, I'm like, oh yeah. Like, you know, friend of mine used to live in the same complex as him, you know, Sean Cleary, super clear. Holy shit. Super clear. Like super Cleary is a mystical magic. Oh no. Charles, did I lose you? Charles. Oh no. What did Charles hit? We're going to hold on for Charles. I think Charles just disconnected. Hey buddy. Who the hell ejects themselves from their own freaking podcast? Very smart. Well, you just wanted me to take over. So we've there had a great go. episode here. Have a good one, guys. <laughs> See ya. Um, where did Super Clear come from? Is that the yeah, question? Yeah. So when I was in college, Gmail had just been starting. And for some insane reason, I just said my name was Super Cleary. Like, it wasn't, someone said it was like a, like a Superman reference, but it wasn't, that never even occurred to me. Cause someone, when I wanted a logo was like, oh, we should do an S with the, the cape because it's like Superman. Didn't ever even dawn on me. I just literally put the word super in front of Cleary. And I have no idea where that drunken epiphany came from. And it stuck because I then needed a business name because I was trying to pitch Sean Pastuch that I was an actual business. So right before I pitched him, I started a Facebook page that said super Cleary photo because that made perfect sense. And that's how a business started. That's really all it came from. And then I just ran the brand on that. Like my Instagram is at SuperCleary and CrossFit started reposting and retweeting or, you know, yeah, reposting SuperCleary. And then the following grew very quickly. So I want to kind of segue into, uh, obviously you and Sean have been friends for a very long time and you've done a lot together. So I kind of, I want to talk a little bit about the, the dynamic between you guys, what you started doing together and then what you're doing now. And then ultimately how it seems that I might be wrong because COVID just is fucking alternate universe. But is, is it the, the, the slow demise or the demise of CrossFit? So which part COVID being the demise of CrossFit is, I mean, everything has a life expectancy and, and everything, nothing is more fatty than the fitness world. Mm -hmm. Nothing lasts forever. So CrossFit has had an unbelievably, unbelievable 10 year run at, at a very, very high level is, um, but now you don't, you don't really, you don't hear about it the same way is, is it me? Did you, did you move and, and do something else? And what are you doing now? And et cetera, because. Yeah. So CrossFit as a company is 
is a private company and doesn't have shareholders. So because of that, they get to, there was the, the previous owner of CrossFit made some extraordinarily bold and most people would call stupid decisions to disband their entire media arm and try to turn themselves into a health company. And because of that, they stopped putting out any type of media. And shockingly, that created some hiccups at the affiliate level. Um, then there's been several issues during the COVID crisis where the affiliates were not being supported in any way uh, by CrossFit Incorporated. And then the founder of CrossFit decided to make some horribly insensitive comments that underlined a long history of, uh, I don't know if we wanna say poor political views or just uh, unpopular views. And because of that and several other things was kicked out of the company. We now have a new CEO at CrossFit who's moving back towards the CrossFit games, moving back towards media as a priority, moving back towards the affiliates being important. With that, I see CrossFit as being far more sustainable than it was the last couple of years. At the end of the day though, COVID has radically changed the fitness industry and gyms that got by on a high volume model are not going to be successful because even with a vaccine or no vaccine, you are not gonna pack gyms the same way you have when this time for fit people has shown an app and a dumbbell can do 90% of what your Globo gym did for you. Yep. So that's, that's, that's a real thing. And CrossFit's gonna have to deal with that the same way. CrossFit can be successful though with very lightly attended gyms if it's done right. Um, you don't need 30 person classes to be successful in CrossFit. People are already ready to pay a higher price point and you generally have more space and create, can create very safe atmospheres to train in. Uh, the whole active life side of things was again, another one of these like <laughs> chances I took. Uh, Sean started, Sean was, has always been like a serial entrepreneur where he started a gym, a chiropractic clinic, an event company, and then an online coaching company within the span of like two and a half years. He didn't do any of those particularly well, but he kept <laughs> trying stuff. No, I, I mean that, I mean that in the most realistic way and in a very inspirational way. Each one of those things, though, he did one thing very, very, very well and then started realizing where his strengths were and where his opportunities were. And he decided to really start focusing on what's called active life right now. Um, as that company was growing and as he had a gym and as he had an event series, I was along for the ride as generally the person that was contracted to do the media work. Um, what I saw with active life, though, once we were going to go online was we were gonna start selling an online template to do to get people's shoulders out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym. So it was, you know, 40 workouts, you'd get a PDF. This was not commonplace when we were launching it. Now everyone has a templated bullet, you know, templated program that you can pay 20 bucks for. But what I realized very quickly is there was no way he could pay me to do this. And there was no way for the amount of media it would need, he could afford it. And it would basically mean someone else was going to do it or he wasn't gonna do it well. So what I said was, well, why don't we just do a profit share? I shoot one day a week for you and you get whatever you need. We schedule out the whole day and you get as much as you need and I just take a profit share of everything off the back end. And I ate absolute shit for a couple of years and was working what very quickly became one, two, three days a week on this. And then I was home editing stuff for it day after day after day. But as a creative, it gave me the opportunity to always be working during the dry spells. And like as a photographer, and then I got into video it was like, there's not always a job every day. And like, especially with a sports series, like 
if the brands don't need a sponsor shoot, if they don't, there isn't a competition that weekend, or if like I raise my prices quite a bit, people aren't going to pay them and the negotiations going nowhere. That means I have to stick to my guns and not work that weekend. Um, so having this was always something I was able to be working on, to be practicing, to be shooting, to be putting out new content and to learn new things. And active life really took off as a way to first get athletes out of pain without going to the doctor and missing the gym. But then as we developed active life professional to help the gym owner and the coach professionalize themselves and their business so they weren't trapped inside of it and could actually make a real career out of being a coach, uh, we kind of landed on something. And even before COVID hit, I was really transitioning and telling most of my longtime clients, yeah, I can't do this. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm busy. I'm booked that weekend. I'm booked that weekend. I'm booked that weekend. Like I can't do these events. I can't do these shoots because active life is basically, you know, 97% of my work schedule now. Um, and that's been great. And it's been a relationship that we keep building and has allowed me to do a lot of different things. And I've just tried to be very responsive to the, to the world as like active life. We did a seminar series in person and flew all over the country. We got really good at it. COVID hits. We had 20 seminars scheduled. Those are all canceled. We could complain about it or what I did with the inspiration of, uh, one of our staff members was built an online streaming service to live stream multiple cameras through Zoom for over 100 participants. So we can now bring our seminar experience into their homes completely safely and sell it and teach these coaches where they are. And we've actually, I think, developed a better product now in this remote capacity than we did when we were in person. So, so talk about the uh, talk about the streaming platform a little bit more. So essentially what you guys are doing seminars every X amount of time, shooting them locally, streaming them globally, and then people have to pay to, to opt in. Yeah. So for example, we'll just talk about the transition with our, um, our coach seminar. So our coach seminar was a way to do two things, get a coach to be able to assess movement of athletes and be able to keep them away from doing things that would get them hurt. But then secondly, change the coach's mindset into becoming a professional coach. We got really good at doing that. Can't do those seminars. So what I did is in our HQ, in our office, built a multi-camera setup. And one of the cameras is uh, on a gimbal, so it floats. Everyone, every, all of our presenters are mic'd individually, so you can actually hear them. We have different sets. So whether we're doing a Q&A, like an interactive Q&A, because we run this through Zoom, or we're doing a lecture presentation, there's different sets, whiteboards, and then a gym set. So we're now able to take the person that signs up for this seminar through the exact same experience, other than being able to physically touch them or manipulate them, and they're able to learn everything they want to learn. And it's not a one-sided seminar. Because we run this through Zoom intentionally, we have TVs set up in the studio, so okay. the presenters can see the, get the attendees watching them and go, hey, does anyone have any questions? And in real time, hear you know, Frank from Omaha go, oh, well, what happens if an athlete moves this way? And we can go, okay, Sheila, why don't we just twist this way a little bit and show this and then show this intervention? And why don't you wow. pick up this barbell and now do this? And we can now stream that with multiple cameras, show a really nice, what basically is, as I call a TV show, to these people that they can interact with. And we that seminar is a two-day experience. Uh, and we've had you know really great feedback because a lot of the people that are in it are people that never were going to be able to travel to the locations where we were doing it. So exactly. we've now taken a huge barrier out of it. And I look at it as a great opportunity for us just to be able to spread the message that much more. And how do you go 
So how have you how have you found the profitability of that and the convenience versus what you did before? And then how do you go about marketing? Do you use the existing you know social media platform, email desks, et cetera? That's how you go about marketing these. Yeah. So the the first part of it is in terms of profitability. Uh, thankfully, I'm the media guy, and I don't have to worry about that stuff when I start working in a larger company structure. The our overhead is certainly lower because first of, of all, none of us are buying plane tickets. None of us are buying hotel rooms. We're not yeah. doing travel meals. Like when you have a seminar, regardless of how much we're charging for it, when you start adding up all that overhead and then yeah. maybe renting out the gym that we're doing it in, or maybe it doesn't sell. And then all the internet ads you need to help fill it, that can become very, very expensive. Uh, whereas now, our cap can be much larger. Our cap used to be about 20. We can now, the next one is gonna be at 100 and I think it's close to sold out. Wow. Um, we sell it for less uh, to help get as many people in there as possible. Um, and in terms of the marketing of it, the marketing has to be different. And as our company has grown, we've brought on uh, an actual person to just single-mindedly focus on marketing. What's the right way to get people into the products that Active Life sells? How do we then nurture that relationship and make sure they're getting as much as possible out of us in a way that's actually helping them? Uh, so we are literally in the phase of that right now, building out the best way to help market these products uh, and make sure people understand what we're doing is different. It's not someone looking up the nose of a, you know, of a screen camera and this is a seminar experience. Like, no, what you're getting is something completely different and we're working on the best way to uh, build out that product so people can see it and understand what they're going to buy. Kind of making the hype behind it. No, that makes sense. And from a, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Since gyms are in a bad place, people can't get together the same way before. You guys are still growing. Attendance is is growing, and people still want to come and learn, even though for all intents and purposes, it's it's harder for them to use and implement. Yeah, yeah. So that's the interesting thing. So like, we're in a very skewed perspective in New York. Uh, because we've had one of the strictest lockdowns and we've also had one of the most successful controls of this, but uh, our experience is different. And if you live in Missouri right now, you're pretending like nothing's going on. Your gym is exactly the same. There's no difference. So it's very important, especially for a global company to not uh, assume everyone is dealing with the exact same challenges we are. There are plenty of gyms that are globo gyms are open. There's treadmill next to treadmill with people coughing all over each other and they're pretending like nothing's going on. That's, <laughs> that's majority of America is in that in that environment. So we should, I, I try not to impose my, my world experience right now on them. Because of that, there are plenty of people that like, I don't care, my gym can be packed as much as I need to pack it. What are the things I need to learn? But in, a, in the most realistic, really to your question though, is how can Active Life help gyms that are struggling right now? It's because what we're telling gyms is that you don't need to pack your gym to be successful. And almost all gym mentorship companies are teaching volume that like, just get more people in there, get them signed up for the six week burn program and do this trick and do this marketing funnel. What we're teaching gyms is how to create coaches that are impactful and changing people's lives in a way that demands more money. You know, the money comes because the service is exceptional. And we're teaching gym coaches how to be more successful in the interventions they're giving their clients. So like, we are not a company that's for helping people that are like, oh, just, you know, get more people in the 60 minute shred session. No, do you wanna be able to pick up your kids because 
you've not been able to because your back hurts too much. And we can actually teach and coach the interventions you need to learn there and how to have that really awkward and tough sales conversation to say, this is going to cost you $1,500 and you're going to be able to move better. Are you signing up right now? And teaching gym, teaching coaches and trainers how to have those conversations so they can actually be successful. Yeah, and I would argue that there's um, it's a lot easier to compete at that higher level niche because there's always somebody that can come in. If you're if you're selling something cheap, there's always someone that can come in and sell it cheaper. Right, the race right. to the bottom. You know, exactly. the race to the bottom, everybody loses. Like, congratulations, yeah. you now have 500 members paying one dollar each. You did it. Exactly. <laughs> Doing it the way you guys are doing it, a you seem to be on the forefront of of a different movement in the fitness world, and b it's you don't have to worry about that. It's it's about quality and service. Do you want results? Because even if these people are paying next to nothing, or I mean, not next to nothing, because it's not inexpensive just to go to a regular volume CrossFit gym or whatever other gym, you, you're kind of wasting your time and you're wasting your money, even if it's less. Right. You know, it's that's that's oftentimes once people on the athlete side come to active life, it's because they've tried everything else. They've tried all the cheap interventions or all the interventions that were really easy to sign up for and didn't make you feel uncomfortable. It's like, wow, this is a this is a plunge. And they're telling me I can't do all the other dumb stuff I want to be doing to actually heal this knee. Like, yeah, we're, we're pushing you into an uncomfortable place, but that's because the interventions actually work. So for me to kind of uh, to, to close it out, I think it's, it's very, very interesting to connect the dots between, you know, the things you've told me in your life and what I know about you. And then obviously Sean, because maybe if Sean didn't do all those things, active life would never come together. If he wasn't a chiropractor, he wasn't doing this, wasn't doing that. He wouldn't have that kind of full spectrum. And just the way that, you know, your life has, has unfolded is super interesting. Uh, I guess my last question, I'm curious to know, because you're a young guy, obviously very potent. We know that only 36 years old. What does, what does the future hold? Uh, there's a lot of time left. Uh, yeah. Well, I assume I'm going to be going into hibernation sometime around February once the third child is here. Um, but, uh, uh, I'm really excited to keep building things out more and more with active life and not worry because I, at one point was traveling 40 weekends a year. Yeah. Uh, and I was on the road, I frequent flyer everywhere and I was never home. I'm really looking forward to, as my family continues to grow and the kids get older, being able to be here and transition finally into some sort of Monday to Friday schedule. Mm -hmm. And in that, a lot of it is going to be building out a proper broadcast studio where we're going to be able to put out some of the best streams in the entire fitness industry nice. and putting to the words and the education that we've created at Active Life, the media that actually can support that message and grow that brand. So people understand that this is different than some, just a, it's not some offshoot of CrossFit. This is a thing that can really uh, dramatically change people's lives uh, and making sure I can actually back it up with some good pictures and videos. I love it, man. Bro, you are the man. It's really good to connect with you again. It's been way too long. I've been watching from afar what you guys are doing. It's super impressive. Uh, if people want to follow you, if they're interested in active life, if they want to get involved, uh, how do they find you guys? How do they reach out? Uh, so I'm at SuperCleary on Instagram. I actually check my direct messages and pretty much the only way you could talk to me. So that's at S-U-P-E-R-C-L-E-A-R-Y. And if you want to know what we're up to at Active Life, it's at Active Life Rx. Beautiful. And obviously, you know, I'm the handsome home buyer. Once again, you have a house that smells like cat pee. It's dated from the 1960s. <laughs> Anything real estate related, you know I'm quick, I'm easy, I'm a good time. I want to buy it. 516-777-SOLD. That's a wrap. We'll see you on the next one.